Chapter Two of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet, His Life and Its Lessons by Robert Belgarni. Chapter Two. Go up and watch the newborn rill, just trickling from its mossy bed, streaking the heath-clad hill with a bright emerald thread. Canst thou her bold career foretell? What rocks she shall o'erleap or rend? How far in ocean's swell her freshening billows send? The ancestors of Titus Salt, whose title may be dropped for the present, came originally from staffordshire but this information is derived from tradition not from authentic documents the family of salt still holds an honourable position in that county how it came to migrate northward we do not know it has left a branch in derbyshire where it is also held in honour but it is at sheffield where this branch takes root in yorkshire and authentic information is obtained it appears from old deeds that titus salt of sheffield whitesmith in seventeen sixty three married one sarah taylor a widow by whom he became entitled to some freehold property described as in a certain place near the new church in sheffield commonly called cherry square in seventeen fifty five there is a conveyance of property from the rev christopher alderson of aston to titus salt then described as of hunslet moor in the parish of leeds white smith in eighteen o two occurs his will in which he is described as of hunslet moor iron founder he devised his hunslet property to his son titus salt and his sheffield property to his son daniel salt this daniel salt is described in a deed of eighteen eleven as of morley in the parish of batley yeoman when titus and sarah salt removed from sheffield to leeds is not recorded but hunslet was undoubtedly the place of their abode there the iron-founding business was carried on not we fear with uninterrupted success for at one time it failed and titus salt then lost a large portion of his property there too they died the husband in eighteen o four the wife in eighteen o two both were well stricken in years and are buried in hunslet churchyard these were the grandparents of the late baronet we remember once passing with him through that neighbourhood when he pointed to a certain locality and said my grandfather lived there mr daniel salt succeeded to his father's iron founding business which he carried on for a few years on the fifth july eighteen o two he married grace smithies of the old manor house morley her father, Isaac Smithies, had recently died, leaving no one to succeed him in his business of dry salter. 
In consequence of this, Daniel Salt came to reside, after his marriage, at the old manor-house, and for a while carried on both his own business at Hunslet and that of his late father-in-law at Morley. This arrangement, however, was of short duration. The Leeds business was given up, and he afterwards was known at Morley as Daniel Salt, White Cloth Merchant and Dry Salter. These were the parents of the late baronet, from whom he inherited those mental and physical qualities that made him what he became. Mr. Daniel Salt, his father, was a plain, blunt Yorkshireman, both in manner and speech. He was tall in size, strong in bone and muscle, with an impediment in his utterance. He is still remembered for his energy and industry in business, and for many quaint and original sayings that fell from his lips. Mrs. Daniel Salt was a woman of delicate constitution, retiring in her disposition, sweet and gentle in her ways, sometimes subject to mental depression, an earnest Christian, and a staunch nonconformist. Their portraits, taken in later years, now hang in the dining-room at Cronest. Such were some of the characteristics of the parents, and which, with a few modifications, were reproduced in their son Titus, who was born at the old manor-house on the 20th September, 1803, and, according to the record in the family Bible, at four o'clock in the morning. The hour of his birth may be forgotten, but not the day. During his life many public celebrations of the day were held, but now, when he is gone, it will be celebrated as the Founder's Day, in several institutions that his benevolence enriched. Let us now visit Morley, the place of his birth, and the scene of his childhood. Morley has an interesting history of its own, going back to Saxon, if not Roman, periods. At the time Titus Salt was born, it was a village of 2,100 inhabitants. At the time we write, it has grown into a town with nearly 13,000 people. It is situated in the parish of Batley, from which it is distant three miles, about four miles from Leeds, five from Dewsbury, and seven from Bradford and Wakefield. It probably took its name from the words moor and lay, which together mean literally moorfields, and would describe the physical aspect of the district when it was named. The highest point in the neighborhood is the site where the church of St. Mary in the Wood stood for centuries around which many generations of the inhabitants are buried and where the new congregational church now stands the view from this position minus the sea reminds one of burial hill at plymouth massachusetts the spot where the pilgrim fathers sleep and in sight of plymouth rock where they landed from this commanding position at Morley, the eye takes in the entire village or town nestling around it, with its straggling streets, commodious places of worship, busy manufactories, and old mansions surrounded by ancient trees, where colonies of rooks long have settled.
there are several coal-mines and stone quarries in the neighbourhood which are a source of considerable wealth but this is the morley of to-day at the time we refer to there were only four places of worship in it now there are fourteen there was only one mill for the manufacture of cloth each house had a manufactory of its own where the sound of the weaver's shuttle was constantly heard but it is the moral and religious aspects of the place at the beginning of this century in which we are most interested as the vintage of a district takes its character from the soil that produces it so the surroundings of one's birthplace often colour and give character to the whole life it was so with titus salt at morley he there received those moral and religious impressions which remained with him through life the people of morley had much of the old puritan spirit among them the sabbath was strictly observed family worship was common in many a home the bible and bunyan's pilgrim's progress were the books most frequently read good friday was not in their calendar and the many fast days which human authority originated they did not recognize nor need we wonder at this apart from the puritan memories that clustered round the place there was no established church in it till eighteen thirty so that nonconformity then occupied the unique position of having no national church in the town was not the church of st mary in the wood connected with the church of england it originally belonged to the roman catholics and remained in their hands till the reformation in fifteen thirty four since then it has been alternately in the hands of episcopalians presbyterians and independents it has had different names in its time st mary and st nicholas being two of them in later years it was known as morley old chapel and occupied by the independents till eighteen seventy three when the structure became unsafe and was pulled down it must have been a source of bitter regret to the inhabitants when this ancient historical edifice vanished from their sight what hallowed associations were connected therewith here many of the ejected ministers of sixteen sixty two sought refuge when silenced by the act of uniformity in the chapel-yard their tombstones still stand under which their precious dust is hidden till christ shall bid it rise john wesley often visited morley and preached the gospel to the people by these visits of this eminent man a spirit of religious earnestness was awakened which continues until now such is a brief survey of morley and its people when titus salt was born let us enter the old manor-house and look at the place where he first saw the light it is well designated old for it was built about three hundred years ago and was evidently not built to sell but to last the walls are in some places three feet thick the roof is low and covered with slabs instead of slates 
in front the ivy throws its green mantle over the old walls behind a contemporary pear-tree stands still bringing forth fruit in its season if a manor was attached to the house in olden times it is not so now for it is surrounded by dwelling-houses and warehouses in daniel salt's time there were two or three fields of pasture connected with the house which belonged to the earl of dartmouth by whom it was sold to dr ellis and is now occupied by a medical practitioner but the old manor-house has been subject to various changes both within and without since titus salt lived in it when he afterwards paid a visit to it with his children he could hardly identify the old place the front entrance had been removed to the south end old windows had been built up and new ones made the rooms on the ground floor which were originally about six feet high had been sunk a couple of feet and were now entered by steps downwards that part of the premises where his father's dry-salting stores were kept was transformed into a drawing-room the kitchen with its stone flags the ceiling with its bare wooden beams where the oat-cakes were suspended to harden and the hams to dry the wide stone staircase leading to the floor above many of these remained much the same but all other marks of identity were effaced no not all one object alone was left which vividly recalled the period of boyhood and that was the pear-tree at the back of the house ah said he i remember that tree well for i often climbed it to gather its fruit it is in this old-fashioned house we are introduced to titus salt he was the first of a large family consisting of three sons and four daughters all of whom are gone save one it is not a little singular that he was twice baptized the first time on the ninth november eighteen o three by the rev thomas clough of morley old new chapel the second time on the twenty seventh february eighteen o five at batley church by the rev j sedgwick the reason for this double baptism was not because there was any doubt about the validity of the first but probably for the sake of an entry in the parish register which was then the only legal record of births deaths and marriages to some readers it may thus appear doubtful whether titus salt was a child of nonconformity or of the established church his parents at this time were connected with the old new chapel above referred to this congregation was an offshoot from the old chapel hence the double name given it the separation took place on doctrinal grounds many of the hearers being dissatisfied with their minister's views which had a strong flavor of socinianism they met in a licensed dwelling-house at first until a site for a chapel was obtained from the earl of dartmouth which was erected in seventeen sixty five it was the chapel of which the rev t clough was the pastor in eighteen o four 
but owing to a notice from lord dartmouth to quit the premises a new one was erected in eighteen thirty five called rehoboth chapel of which the rev j p james is the present pastor we can therefore satisfactorily answer the question as to whether titus salt belonged to nonconformity or the establishment in a certain sense he belonged to both legally to the latter hereditarily and afterwards conscientiously to the former to those who have been taught to lay much stress on the rite of baptism as affecting the moral nature and influencing the future destiny of the recipient we can only say be sir titus salt's first baptism valid or invalid he at least received the right in two communions and in this respect he differed from many the other children born at old manor house were sarah hannah and isaac smithies the two last named died in infancy and were buried at the old new chapel morley the state of mrs salt's health being so delicate she was unable to nurse the children born to her but a valuable substitute was found in mrs ellis who tended them as if they were her own during their infancy happily titus did not inherit the feeble constitution of his mother but the strong and vigorous constitution of his father as soon as he was able to run alone he mingled with the children of the village a cousin still living who was his playmate says he was a bright boy for his years full of fun when with those whom he knew well but shy with strangers this testimony is true for the same characteristic was manifested in his riper years another playmate still living remembers that titus had a wooden horse which his father bought him in possession of such a toy he was an object of envy to the other children around him seated upon it he spent many an hour riding up and down the flagstones but he seldom enjoyed his pastime alone as his playmates were permitted to share it amongst them was joe ellis who says i was the one who took turns with him when titus arrived at the usual age he was sent to a dame school in morley kept by mrs nichols under whose care he was taught to read it must have been this school he once referred to in after years happening one day to meet a gentleman from morley in a railway carriage the conversation turned on morley which recalled old memories as soon as the gentleman mentioned his name he exclaimed i remember your mother we went to school together of course this dame school was only preparatory to another but whether it was the morley town school kept by mr trenham is uncertain if so he came under the influence of a man held in high esteem in the village be that as it may there is credible evidence that when eight or nine years old he went to a school at batley then under the care of the rev j sedgwick curate of the parish church it was a long distance for a boy of his years to walk every day how few boys nowadays would do it six miles to school and back yet he was only one of a group to whom the journey was a healthy and bracing exercise 
They started each morning at half-past eight o'clock, and reached Batley in time for school at half-past nine. A happy group of boys that was, and cheerily their voices rang as they passed along Scotchman Lane together. This lane was noted for the number of gypsies who encamped there, and often succeeded in purloining property from the neighboring villages but these schoolboys kept each other's courage up by keeping together they were accustomed to meet at a rendezvous in the lane those who were in time wrote their names on a piece of slate which was deposited in a well-known hole in the wall for the perusal and encouragement of the boys who were late the curriculum at batley's school was both classical and commercial but Titus's attention was confined to the ordinary branches of instruction. As for dinner, he carried it with him. It consisted of oat cake and milk fresh from the cow. To this latter circumstance he once incidentally alluded a few years before his death. Some children happened to be visiting at Cronest. On their return from the dairy, where they had tried their hand at milking the cows, great was their amusement and surprise when their kind-hearted host told them that in his schoolboy days he had to go in the dark mornings to draw his own supply of milk for the day before setting out for school but what was titus salt's education at home it need not be told that the character and habits generally take the permanent shape and form that the plastic hand of a parent gives them to his father he was indebted for many wise counsels and for instructions in practical mechanics with which his former occupation made him familiar but his higher home education was imparted by his mother it was from her he acquired that respect for religion that regard for the sabbath that reverence on entering the house of god that personal attachment to christian ministers and their work which were retained as long as he lived it was by her alone his youthful lips were taught to pray to read the bible both morning and evening and to make it the man of his council in the house of his pilgrimage among many relics of the deceased baronet at cronest not the least precious is the well-worn pocket bible the gift of the parent to the son with the following inscription to titus salt may this blessed volume ever lie close to thy heart and near thine eye till life's last hour thy soul engage and be thy chosen heritage it is worthy of notice that to each of his own children he presented a pocket bible in which was written with his own hand the above lines may the prayer therein expressed be realized End of chapter 2